Hello and welcome to Productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs, writer and mostly sensible habit maker. This week's episode inspiration comes from Julian and he called in with this question. Hi, I'm Julian and I'm from the Adelaide Hills. My question for productivity is, to what extent are the things we like and dislike intrinsic to us and therefore things we should listen to and accept? And to what extent are they constructions we should cultivate in order to lead a healthy and satisfying life? The reason I'm thinking about this is, I'm a big fan of listening to the inner voice, but I also reckon the inner voice is a product of years of experience, growth, and funnily enough, being pushed to do lots of things when you usually don't want to do. The US podcast, The Minimalists, talks about cultivating your passions. Is this something you believe in? For example, someone's gut says they don't want to try water sports, travel to tropical locations, or work in teaching. But they've never tried any of them. So how would they know? This is a fantastic question that's really quite complicated, but it kind of boils down to this. Should we let our likes or dislikes be the keepers of our life? The answer is yes and no, but we'll get to that later. So I had a great friend guest in mind for this episode. He's the type of guy who has fantastic boundaries and doesn't really bend on things he doesn't want to do. But in totally on-brand fashion, he didn't want to be a guest on the podcast, so he's not on the podcast. Instead, this week's friend guest is my mate, Denon. He's technically Ben's mate, so they met in year seven in high school, but I've definitely claimed him as my own. Denon is the best. He's just a really excellent, supportive friend. He took amazing care of Ben when he had no surgery a few years ago And when, well, this was when I was away, he stepped in and looked after Ben after he had surgery. And then when Ben was away, he came and stayed with me and cooked me dinner and took the rubbish out when our kid was a baby and Ben was overseas. I really think that everyone should have a Denon. The reason I asked Denon to be the friend guest this week is because he's a really amenable guy. Like he's certainly not a pushover, but he'll likely do almost anything you ask him to do. But he's also a real go-getter. He won't say no to any adventure. So I was curious about what he thinks about following your intuition of what you want to do versus not doing things that you know you won't like. Here's my chat with Denon. Hello, how's your week been? Hello, Carly. I'm so excited to be here. I've had a smashing week, actually. It started out on the... um, the lakes of East Gippsland, and now I'm home in momentarily sunny Melbourne. So, yeah, it's been great. How about yours? Yeah, not too bad. We had a really crap week last week, as I'm sure everyone <laughs> knows. Harriet was sick, and she was sick for like she was out of daycare for like a full week, and then mm. yeah, we did a mad dash trip on the weekend, which was really fun. Um, yeah, everything's back to normal this week, which is so nice, and we've actually been able to do something that's not parenting or working this week, which has been really nice. So <laughs> yeah, excellent. Yeah. excellent. Let's jump straight into it. So this episode mm-hmm. is about how our is about our desires and how much we should honor them in our lives. So what are your thoughts on putting boundaries in place for things that you don't like doing? Mm, Honoring desire. I'm actually love the opportunity to talk to you about this. I think it's really, I wanted to say, I think it's a really interesting time to be doing so as well, because I think for a lot of us during the age of Corona, 
life has been a bit more about just getting by rather than fulfilling desires, right? But I think there's always opportunity for the pursuit of pleasure. So, I mean, boundaries. I quite like boundaries. I like to set them and then push them. So I think they act as, you know, uh, a good reference point for us. I find, for myself anyway, I think, mm, like, thinking about and defining my boundaries my instinctive boundaries, I suppose, helps me to know myself a little bit better. And then by pushing those boundaries, it kind of helps me grow. So do you push your own, you're more comfortable with pushing your own boundaries than other people pushing your boundaries? Oh, I think little column A, little column B, because it's, I've found some of the most important and most loved people in my life, my favorite people tend to be the ones who push my boundaries. But then the times when sometimes I have had the greatest conflict with people in my life has also been when people have pushed my boundaries and what separates the good situation from the bad. I mean... (laughs) Look, like, to be honest, as a close friend of yours... I don't feel like you have ever communicated to me that I have pushed a boundary of yours, but I'm sure I have for the simple fact that you are a really accommodating person Mm. and you're not a no guy. Like Mm. I really do feel like I could ask you to do anything and Mm. you would say yes, so I do. (laughs) (laughs) And I think I I like being that way and I think maybe that's something that we'll get into a little bit is that sort of not saying no but I do think you know most of the time I think maybe there's a selection bias here because I think the people who I do surround myself are people who push my boundaries in ways that I like so you know if if we if we put it back on you I suppose maybe the things that you have pushed my boundaries on I know when I'm hanging out with you that I'm kind of putting myself at risk of that so then <laughs> then when like then possibly when you, drinking more alcohol yeah, than you wanted to yeah, so, and so it's you know there's 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 full there's full knowledge there's been full disclosure beforehand in you know the years that we've known each other so maybe maybe that has something to do with it um I also wonder also, just just in terms of uh, an observation that I had uh, kind of to do with your family so when mm. Harriet was quite young you came to stay with me while Ben was overseas which was just like the nicest thing that anyone has ever done it was lovely <laughs> um just for the listeners who are listening Denon came and stayed with me while Ben was overseas and you know took the garbage out and cooked me dinner and took care of me and Harriet while Ben was away which was lovely and then Ben uh, sorry Denon brought his mum over for dinner like maybe a year later because they were they were driving through our town and I took the opportunity to gush to Denon's mum about what an amazing boy he's raised and how wonderful he was for coming and helping me out and she was not impressed she was like yeah so like that's totally what I would have expected him to do and I was like oh okay cool then Great. So is it kind of, do you think it's sort of maybe a family thing where your parents have raised you to be so accommodating that that's just expected of you? Or is it cultural even? <laughs> I mean, it could be. It's it's one of those things where, I mean, I know a lot of people have some issues about tracing, you know, things from their parents into them, but I, I am not too proud to admit that, you know, a very large percentage of what I do comes from my parents, whether I like it or not. So I try and at least cherry pick and I mean, well, 
you know, if I'm going to have habits of my parents, it may as well be the nice things like taking garbage out. Um, so, um, oh, actually, speaking of taking garbage out, tell the listeners the funny Google, the Google oh, view thing. Oh, my goodness. Well, I think a comedian does a bit, right, where it's like, um, I think it was Michael McIntyre or Trevor Noah, one of them, when Google Maps first came out um, and you know, you can see literally anywhere in the world. And what's the first thing everyone does is look at their own house, right? And so then as soon as we looked at our house, um, oh, everyone just went to town on this. It's as the Google car went past with its fancy 360 cameras, there I was double handling bins, not just the garbage bin in front of me, but the recycling bin behind as I'm pushing and pulling these things up the hill and they are immortalized for for all eternity is me <laughs> taking out the garbage. So really, it, you know, it's it it corroborates what you're saying about. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that story because it was such a big thing when the the little Google truck was going around and everyone was freaking out, going, "What if I get caught doing something really weird?" And everyone was like, "Oh, look, the, the chances of you getting caught on the camera is so low." And of course, Denon's caught out at the front of his house, of taking out, bringing the garbage bins in. So oh, there are good. a few things that you're notorious for not liking they are mm-hmm. mainly food based uh-huh. one of them is mm-hmm. coffee so ben has been trying to get denon to drink coffee i think since they met in <laughs> what year did you guys meet we were 12 years old so that's ooh, 20 like year years seven ago. or year, year eight seven. or something year seven high school first year of high school we were both just like weird together just cheeky non-conformist sort of nerd slash geeks all rolled into one you know yeah and i think i think it's been about since then that ben's been trying to get you to drink coffee i was about to say i'm pretty sure he drank coffee then oh yeah (laughs) was drinking coffee way earlier than he should have been and another thing you don't like is fruit for (laughs) dessert and now most Mm -hmm. of your friends know Mm -hmm. this about you which means that you tell people these things Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so why not drink coffee and why no fruit for dessert okay so (laughs) I guess all my friends and family know this about me because I spend most of my waking moments eating and drinking in some way Um, the coffee one is simple well simple to begin with I guess I just react extremely to it. The last time I had a shot of espresso, I ended up running through the streets of the old town in Lisbon with my friend on my back. Now, of (laughs) course, I enjoyed that at the time, but caffeine does make me feel, I don't know, kind of anxious. It's it's, it's the consequences that, that are the problem with caffeine. So like, I do love watching the ritual and the behaviors of those people who do take coffee. So, you know, in Melbourne, that seems to be everyone who's not me. Uh, but it's quite satisfying to see people so reliably and dependably like satisfied and invigorated by something. Like I, I genuinely find it fascinating. But in all honesty, I'm probably just wary of getting totally addicted to the stuff. Because once I enjoy something that I crave, I can't stop. So... Mm, maybe we can we can pull that apart another time. But I mean, the, fr- the fruit for dessert one, um, my good friend Megan, who I know you know, she summed it up when we were out for dinner at some fancy restaurant and she, well, I suggested that she have, I don't know, the poached pears or something for dessert. And she glared up from her menu and looked at me and said, I don't go out to have fruit for dessert. And, and honestly, to be honest, I... I dislike having dislikes because for me, 
I, I think I get this FOMO sometimes when I see people enjoying the apple pies or the sultanas, but I just cannot bring myself to like them. You know, Lord knows I've tried. Because apple pie, like, it's not that you don't like apple pie, but it's not dessert for you. Is that right? No, no, it's, I just don't like it. Oh, you don't so, like apple pie at, at all? all? So oh, the fruit righto. for dessert thing, I mean, I'll go, I'll eat, you know, I'll eat my bananas, I'll eat an apple as like a nutritious fuel for my body, but not as this discretionary decadent thing, which some people to think, to think it is. So now I just keep a safe distance when it's fruit, when it's fruit for dessert. <laughs> So on that note, you uh, and you summed this up perfectly because you said you dislike having dislikes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And as a friend, I have observed that you are a real up for anything kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And do you think that that is a natural inclination for you or is it something that you work on and talk yourself through? Mm. Up for anything kind of guy. I will fully own up to that because my motto is I will try anything twice because trying just once somehow seems unfair to everyone involved. I think I have, um, I think I have a little boiler room of curiosity inside me that's always been there. I think everyone does. I think it's inherently human, but I've definitely nurtured it through to something that I think is. Um, you know, maybe there's this network of curiosity that runs through me that's maybe a little bit more nurtured than than the average person. I guess, as like I said before, you know, kind of like as a geek and a nerd all rolled into one throughout school, I was super risk averse, like, you know, when it came to trying new things. And then I kind of grew out of that shell by trying new things. And to your other point of people pushing, like other people pushing boundaries, it was, you know, there are some key mentors and key people in my life who I know actively saw something in me and pushed me to, you know, push those boundaries and try new things. Because, um, you know, without going into too much detail, I think they saw that, like, I, I was, I could very easily have just kind of coasted my way through life. Um, and I will always be grateful to those people for provoking me. And I think, I think that's where it was. It's sort of, you know, in those earlier years when I got provoked to, to lean over and see what's on the other side, once I then started getting rewarded by that, I then couldn't stop. So, you know, I, I grew out of it by, you know, like on average, I think getting more, more rewarded than punished by taking risks, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's also something that you have to do when you're quite young, because if you get into the habit of not taking risks and not pushing your boundaries and not trying new things when you're quite young, it actually becomes really overwhelming to do it as you get older. And if as a teenager, you're constantly putting yourself out there and doing, or even in your early twenties, doing things that are outside of your comfort zone, by the time you're in your thirties, you're kind of like, I don't even really, this isn't even really touching the sides anymore. I'm just doing it. I mean, yeah, I feel like that's a topic we could talk about for ages. I mean, the sort of <laughs> intertemporality of it as well. Like, you know, not to put my own mum on the chopping block, but I find my brothers and I have been have been very mindful of that that risk taking, you know, risk loving behavior in terms of trying new things, particularly with our mom, who I know, you know, I've talked about it with you a little bit, but she's just gone through a, you know, a divorce from, from my father and it's been a rocky time, but it's really interesting contrasting, say myself and how much I love, you know, seeking out the rewards that come from risk in contrast to what she's been more used to, which is much more 
um, reserved, much less risk loving. Um, and I think she's started to, she's started to take some of those risks, you know, in more of her single life and is starting to see those, you know, rewards and find some of that joy and find some of that pleasure. And, you know, without, without slipping into the cliche, I think I, I query, I think old dogs can learn new tricks in this, in, in this regard, but to your point, it's a lot easier when you're young. <laughs> yeah, because I think you just end up kind of building up the muscle. But I do yeah. really love that kind of glow up sort of culture where people have been, you know, perhaps in, in an unsatisfying relationship or living somewhere mm. where they don't want to live or in a career that they don't love. And then mm. they change direction like in their 30s or their 40s or their 50s. And then they start mm. taking all of these risks and start getting those rewards. A- again, like as you were saying, you know, mm. you can teach an old dog new tricks and it is actually really you know, charming seeing people do that kind of stuff mm. later in life and really sort of find what it is that, that, that they want. Yeah, definitely. definitely. So out of all my friends, I would say that you're probably the one who's the most into self-improvement. A, mm-hmm. a lot of my friends aren't particularly into it and they just kind of exist. Whereas every time we hang out, I feel like we always talk about, you know, an article that we read where there's a new superfood that can mm-hmm. do this crazy thing. Or there was some study <laughs> on, you know, nutrition or some other thing that kind of has been a big revelation for one of mm. us. Mm. Um, what do you think about the topic of self-improvement in general? And do you think that we should do things we don't want to do or stand firm in our resolve to not do them when it comes to self-improvement? Mm. It's, I guess this gets to the, to the crux of the crux of it, which unsurprisingly, this is going to sound unoriginal, but it's a balancing act, right? And I think um, to me, for, for me, I think it comes back to that reward cycle that catches me every time. So I think, you know, <laughs> what can I say about nutrition and exercise? That these ideas are supposed to make you obviously fundamentally more fit and feel better um, and I think many of the ideas out there, they do, but we're all so different, right? That we obviously, we all need to, uh, I, I think it, maybe it's easy to forget that we need to try different things to find what works for us. So part of, um, you know, part of my, say the conversations that I've had with you about about trying new things is part of that cycle of of trying new things. And if it if it makes me feel better, I, I will adopt that as part of my life. And if it doesn't, I move on. Um, I think it's, uh, I want to, I want to distance myself from the, uh, there's a lot of fad, you know, based marketing out there that promises a lot of the things that I know you and I are both interested in because they're such yeah. powerful motivators, you know, that waking up in the morning and just feeling good, eating a meal and feeling, feeling great, great for the rest of the day, doing a workout, feeling pumped, um, you know, engaging with people and, you know, your diet and exercise are integral to those. But um, quite simply, I think, you know, the... <sighs> The steady state for a lot of us, you know, it's easy to fall into a habit of, of doing what we know and having a, the same level of pain every time we do a workout or the same kind of flavors when we try, you know, certain foods. But I, to, your, to your question around should we push ourselves out of the comfort zone, um, how, much do we, how much do we do things we don't want to do, I think, it's, I think it's necessarily built in that we've got to do things that we don't want to do in order to in order to in order to learn what what there is out there like there's this um 
you know, whether it's something as simple as as trying kale crisps all the way through Which is to... delicious, by the way. If you haven't tried <laughs> kale crisps, you should eat well, them I'd, because they're well, marvellous. I tried, I tried making them the other day and it just turned into like a, a brown burnt mess. And I, I mean, I, I don't know. I, 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 again, I'll try anything twice, so I've got to, I've <laughs> try got to give it another go. <laughs> but, um, you know, whether, whether it's that through to, you know, trying a new sport or a new kind of fitness activity, there's like this, there's a little bit of terror, right, before you, before you, you know, before you Cheryl Sandberg and lean in. Um, and so, you know, in trying things that, that are new, what appeals to me is that on the other side of that unknown, on the other side of that terror is potentially a joy and a pleasure that I had never imagined. So that's kind of the, my motivator to push through some of that, um, you know, some of that dislike for whatever it is. But for me, I think my, um, my, my balance of, of dislike that I am happy to put up with, I think has increased over time. Like I said, because I've found that um, the, the rewards in terms of joy and pleasure and, and breadth of experience have kind of have, have justified it. Um, yeah. I also think it's I think it's interesting to look at um, in terms of the uh, motivation to do things that are difficult. So, for instance, like exercise is actually mm. a difficult thing and mm. taking the time out of your day to do it. Sometimes it's hard. You're tired. You don't want to do it. That kind of thing. You and I are two people in my circle who exercise more regularly than anyone else that I know. Mm. I don't know of too many other people that have exercised as consistently as we have for like the the past 10, 15 years. And I wanted to bring this up because I thought it was really funny. I'm (laughs) constantly uh, teasing Denon because he has what I believe is to be a lightning fast metabolism. Like this guy (laughs) eats food and burns it at a rate of knots. It's it's quite upsetting. Uh, And a couple of years ago, Denon was in a car accident where he couldn't exercise as regularly as he could and we kind of both of us sort of worked on this assumption that you didn't really exercise for any reason other than it made you feel good that was kind of like the number one reason I mean obviously we're all a bit vain it also makes you look good <laughs> Denon's quite ripped in case anyone wants to know oh, um, don't stop <laughs> but no but but the thing is is that like it like vanity was low down on the list of reasons why you exercise it made you feel good and then when you couldn't you actually your your body changed and it was you, you were quite shocked by it I remember going over to your house and you were just like it turns out that exercise actually does do stuff for the way my body looks more than I thought it did <laughs> and I think and that's what it might sound really really daft um but I think I just never because I think I'd be, I'd it had exercise had just automatically become a part of my life, just like a habit. Yeah, I had never I had never given my body the opportunity to demonstrate what it does when I don't exercise. Yeah. So <laughs> so I, it, it may, you could kind of say that I'd conned myself into this um, <laughs> into this illusion of thinking, oh well, life means you eat whatever you want, and then you know there are no consequences. When actually I'm I've probably just been. Um, automatically for exactly as you described, been exercising my way through, um, you know, my extreme consumption habits. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's okay. I, I'm, I'm, I'm back in form now. So that's what it's, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> back, back on it. But yeah, I just think that that, that is really interesting that uh, someone can 
overcome such a big obstacle for other people. That is something that comes up a lot for the listeners of this podcast is getting into that unbreakable exercise habit Mm. that I feel like once you nail it, you're in it, but getting to that point where it is just like breathing is quite difficult for, for a lot of people and how interesting it is that your desire to feel good overrode pretty much everything else in that instance. And that's what it was that got you, got you to keep going. Yeah. I think, and yeah, that's quite interesting. You've hit the nail on the head there that that was the ultimate motivation was that good feeling and and ultimately i i don't know i personally believe that that it's possible for everyone to find that but it's just everyone's going to find that you know in in exercise people are going to find that in so there are so many different ways and you know there's a multi-billion dollar industry for that i suppose but (laughs) (laughs) that doesn't need any more of our money just doesn't need any more of our money or endorsement hey it's carly taking a quick break from the interview to remind you to leave a review for the podcast if you're loving it just go to the show page not the episode page and scroll down to the bottom where it says leave a review and the best news is is that you can count that as the good deed that you've done this week yay thank you (laughs) There was one other thing I wanted to mention that you thought might be an interesting topic, uh, dating. So Mm. that's another thing that comes up a lot in terms of do you go for what it is that you instinctively want or do you kind of just go with whatever happens? So, like, do you think you have a type and have you dated against or for that type in the past? Mm. Well, it's interesting because... Again, not to get too analytical, but it is a very interesting time to be asking that question because dating, needless to say, has um, has been, for better or worse, um, shifted by the presence of apps and the behaviours that the apps tend to uh, encourage or propagate in in everyone. Like I've, um, you know, I can analyze it as much as I want, but I but I am part of that app ecosystem. So I'm, you know, I'm dating and 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 meeting people. But I've noticed that, and you know, I'm far from the first person to to notice this. But the the apps do tend to sharpen focus on very specific aspects of attraction, specific aspects of, um, you know, appeal, visual, um, you know, visual cues are most of what makes you determine whether or not you're interested in someone on an app at, you know, prima facie at first instance. So is that, so those algorithms, are they kind of based on conscious choices that you have made by like ticking a box that says, you know, you like tall women or you like outgoing women versus the app learning what it is that you like because of your behavior in an indirect way? Thinking about dating and the kinds of relationships that I have enjoyed the most and I feel, you know, what I'm what I'm looking for. I think I shy away from the type um, uh, discussion, maybe unsurprisingly, because I feel like I I've never really been that motivated to to limit myself to specific um, criteria. I've a lot of people do that because that's just what what they're drawn to. But I find myself drawn to to lots of different kinds of different kinds of people. And so I've found if the, you know, not to have a go at apps, but if apps algorithms are ch- trying to channel me down to a certain, you know, kind of, kind of appearance of person, um, I tend to 
it tends to frustrate me a little bit because I feel like it's a bit hard to pin down with you know, even if I try and do it myself, the things that I'm drawn to in people, it's very hard to codify them. So I found... Um, does it frustrate you though? Like if it's spitting out the same sort of looking girl, do you, totally. does that annoy you that you weren't able to kind of outsmart the it, algorithm? It, and it, <laughs> it, it, you know what? I'm just going to come out and say, and it's sort of, it's like it, a lot of the apps just keep pushing these, you know, very stereotypically like blonde haired blue eyed. And it's like, <laughs> right, I get, I, I get it. Like these people have great pictures, but you know, there's a lot, you know, it's, it seems to be sort of turning into a, um, into a pyramid scheme where, you know, like if you have a certain sort of pictures, you then can like, you know, get, uh, well, your, your face is pushed to a much broader range of people than, you know, those whose pictures don't necessarily appeal to the masses. So, I mean, you know, dating is a numbers game. You, you want to meet, uh, for me anyway, I like to meet a broad range of people because that kind of helps me learn about myself and, and what I'm interested in. So if I only date people with blonde hair and blue eyes, then hell, I'll probably end up with someone with blonde hair and blue eyes. But, um, you know, I've got nothing against that, by the way, for any of listeners who have blonde hair <laughs> and blue eyes. I mean. <laughs> but, um, but I've found, you know, um, and again, this is going to sound cliche, but it's been... Uh, it's been the times when I've I've challenged myself a little bit and maybe maybe pushed the boundary of um, say approaching someone who's not maybe what I would always assume is is someone that I'm going to be attracted to um, and then you know just explored you know spending time with them or connecting with them and that's when I found there to be some real fireworks. Um, you know, and, and maybe that's part of my, part of my nature is that I, I do thrive on that, you know, that being challenged and being, having my, having those boundaries pushed. And that's going to come from, from places that I can't even, I can't even predict. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And I think like as an outsider who has had lots of people introduce new partners to me over the years, some some people, several partners, because, you know, they've, they've been with different people and I've known them mm-hmm. for 15 years. Often I've been in- introduced to a new partner of a friend and thought, oh, okay, like n- no judgment or anything. I've just met this person and gone... I'm not actually sure that this is an amazing fit. And then after Mm. spending, you know, 45 minutes with the person, I'm like, oh, wow, this is actually an amazing fit. And Mm. I think that, Mm. and I've had conversations with friends post meeting their new partners where they've been like, I knew when you met that person that you didn't think that this was a a particularly (laughs) good match, but, and I didn't think it was either, but look, isn't it amazing? And I just think that that's another really great testament to pushing your boundaries and like, you know, I don't want to promote people like giving someone a chance if it's really not yeah, working it's, for and you. It's a, yeah, it's a fine line, right, between. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is an extraordinarily fine line, but I I do really like that, and that just anecdotally and in you know my test group of one and my <laughs> observations, I've seen that work out really, really beautifully in the past. Mm, yeah, and I, and I think like back to that, you know, should you, you know, should you try something that you don't like I think you know for a lot of us just going outside of that outside of the comfort zone outside of the familiar is tends to be something that we don't like and um yeah no I've I've found yet again the the reward the reward is what motivates me and and 
that's why yeah that's why I continue to do it <laughs> yeah I, I'm exactly the same I actually I never had asked anyone out before in my life ever and I decided to ask Ben out so <laughs> I was the one that asked him out and I was like I want to let him know that if this is a thing that he would like to happen then I'm very up for that happening and it, imagine if I didn't do that I was just I was just about to say imagine if you didn't imagine I mean if I didn't what was what was he gonna do ask you out <laughs> knows he might have like I don't know he's very sweet and and as we've grown together he said oh he said he was like I kind of feel like it was an inevitability like he said if you didn't ask me out I would have eventually and oh I'm like, really yeah, but when but yeah but, I do like I think really? you get full credit for this though like thank you I was like no it was 100% me and you know what if he said no I don't see him again like bye <laughs> Not a problem. Yeah. <laughs> um, just just to wrap up, do you have any tips for people to get them over the edge of doing things that they find scary or they don't want to do kind of any, you know, motivational little sentences that they can say to themselves where oh, they're like, shame. oh, I really don't want to oh. ask this guy out or get on this plane or move to this new city. Like, how do you make them do it? Um, for me... I don't know. I just feel like it's that um, it's that mountain of terror, you know, doing doing anything that that really pushes it, whether it's, um, you know, from from something as simple as trying a new food to trying a new activity, jumping out of a plane, um, that mountain of terror um, you, you, the nature of it is you can't see what's on the other side. Right. But then as soon as you like put in the work and get to the top of that, you will always have a new perspective once you get to the top of that mountain of terror. Like that new perspective has helped, you know, me to discover, you know, like satisfaction in ways that I've never imagined, whether it's visual, you know, spectacle of tropical oceans or, you know, meditative sensations from free diving or, you know, um, foods that I've never thought that I would enjoy, like and everything in between, and people that I never thought I would have engaged. So, I think, I think that's, I think that's the key thing is that things always look different once you've climbed that mountain of terror. <laughs> So that was my chat with Denon about how and when to let our desires lead our lives. I really, really love this topic because it's so difficult to research. Like, how do you Google that? I also want to discount things like work and just generally taking care of ourselves because that kind of stuff is paramount to survival. On the back of my conversation with Denon, here are a few thoughts that I have about honoring, but also ignoring our desires. It's important to consider the pain factor. So is refusing to participate in an activity going to give you more pleasure than it causes other people harm? And you'll need to look at this on a case-by-case basis. For example, I don't do music festivals. I've never been to one, so I can't be sure that I won't like it. But there's a lot of factors that point to the conclusion that I wouldn't like them. I love camping, but I love quiet camping. I like live music, but not in the way that other people do. I kind of like it as background noise, but I don't enjoy just sitting and listening to someone play without doing something else like chatting or playing cards. This is why I don't go to jazz with Ben. I don't find it enjoyable. 
I don't like to drink to excess or do drugs. And I know that that's not what all music festivals are about, but let's be honest, that's a fairly major draw card for a lot of people. One of my best mates loves music festivals and has tried many times to get me to go with her. And I always say no, because I would just ruin it for her and I wouldn't enjoy it. We can just go out for dinner instead. So here's another scenario. I'm not the biggest fan of Indian food. I used to really, really not like it, but then I went to India and had a forced exposure experience with it, and now I really quite enjoy it. Ben, he adores Indian food and he would eat it every day. We get takeaway once a week, and we generally always get Indian. I prefer Thai or even Chinese, but most of the time we get Indian because it's what Ben really wants, and my pain factor of eating Indian food is really low. In fact, it's almost non-existent. But if I was getting takeaway just for me, I'd never order Indian, but his pleasure outweighs my pain in this instance. And he does the same thing for me. If there's only like a little bit of ice cream left and we both want ice cream, he'll always let me have it because I like ice cream more than he does. And I've paid for that ice cream with his weekly Indian takeaway choice for the past 15 years. So if you're wondering whether you should embrace or ignore your desires, just weigh up your pain factor against the pain factor of the people who will be affected by your choice. And the correct solution is usually pretty clear. Another thing to consider is the cost benefit ratio. So this is a great way to figure out if you should ignore or embrace your desire if your decision only affects you. So let's look at an example. Let's say you live alone and you hate cooking. It's just not something that you like doing and it's never really been something that you enjoy. Recently, you felt a little bit like you might want to care more about cooking. So you question whether or not you want to stoke this fire. So here are some potential costs of embracing this. There's literal cost. You may need to invest in specialty ingredients or utensils. There's also time cost. Cooking takes time. So you'll need to look at what time bucket you'll be taking that cooking time from. So there's really only two potential costs. And here are the potential benefits. You could expand your palate. You will have a hobby that doesn't involve a screen. You can get skilled up in something useful and you could start hosting dinner parties or making meals for your neighbors. You could increase your chances of interpersonal connection because in my experience, food really brings people together. So on this very, very basic premise, if you look at the pros versus the cons, it's a pretty clear that it's a cool idea to give this cooking thing a go. doesn't really affect anyone else if you do or don't do it. If you don't do it, nothing will happen. And if you do do it, there's potential for some really excellent things to happen. This is my favorite point. I think you need to ask yourself, does the thought of not doing that thing feel worse? I was listening to a podcast with Louis Theroux and John Bronson and Bronson asked Louis how he got up the nerve to sit with neo-Nazis and hint to them that he may be Jewish because it seemed so hard and unpleasant at the time. And Louis replied, because not doing it felt worse, not doing it felt worse. I absolutely love this. And I will say it to myself several times a day. Why did I get up at 6am and do boot camp in the rain? Because not doing it felt worse. Why did I spend 45 minutes playing the most boring game in the history of the world with my two-year-old? Because not doing it felt worse. Why did I put all my washing away instead of chucking it in a pile on our bedroom chair? Because not doing it felt worse. Why did I ask Ben out 15 years ago with no idea if he liked me back? Because not doing it felt worse. So, There are things that maybe you don't feel like doing, like exercising or cleaning or applying for your dream job, but just take a moment to think about what happens if you don't do these things. Does it feel worse? If the answer is yes, 
go do the thing. Having said that, it's also totally okay to own the things you don't like. I'm a big, big true crime fan, but a lot of people feel triggered or traumatized by it. And that's totally fine. No one will benefit from you forcing yourself to watch a horror movie if it's really not enjoyable for you. Does not watching a horror, scary, horrible movie or a true crime documentary feel worse for you? Probably not. Will anyone else benefit from you watching it? Probably not. So that is a great thing to not do. Here's a personal example. I'm not into sport at all. I don't football. I don't tennis. I don't soccer. None of it. I'll occasionally watch some Formula One, but even that's a bit of a stretch. I don't intend to introduce sport watching into my life. The one exception will be if my kid gets into sport. I can't say I will be encouraging that with her love of the water and the fact that she inherited my exact build. She's probably going to be a fantastic swimmer, but don't tell her that. However, if she does end up loving soccer, I'll be right in there with her because I want to support her passions. So my dislike of watching sport pales in comparison to sharing something that my kid loves with her, but that's future Carly's problem. And hopefully she'll just be into craft and art and things like that. And I won't ever have to get up at 6am and watch a soccer game. So if you are weighing up whether or not to die on a hill of your own hatred, just think a little further into the future and see what the consequences or the benefits might be. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening to productivity, the podcast that helps you create little habits for a big life. I'm Carly Jacobs. You can find me on Instagram at carlyjacobs.com. That's carlyjacobs, D-O-T-C-O-M. You can also email me productivity at carlyjacobs.com. I love hearing from my listeners, so please don't be shy. You can also record a question for me to answer on the show at speakpipe.com forward slash productivity. I get so excited when people leave messages for me on Speakpipe. Seriously, I do little dances. So if you want to imagine me in the supermarket doing a little happy dance, you know, while I'm buying my cereal, please leave me a speak pipe message for a episode topic. I would absolutely love that. Also, if you love the show, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter. Even $5 a month would be a huge help in covering production, editing, equipment, promotion, and guest wrangling. Just visit patreon.com forward slash productivity. And one more thing, please leave a rating and a review. It's the best way to help other people find the podcast. Until next time, remember, little habits, big life.